Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Talking Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with Philip Matthew and Spencer Cowan tonight as we talk about the news of the day, which is the NASCAR Hall of Fame. The 2020 class of the, Na- of the NASCAR Hall of Fame has been announced. Five new inductees into the Hall of Fame. We'll talk about them and what they their contributions to the sport. Who do they leave out? And it could be an option next year. We'll discuss that as well. Also, uh, we'll talk about NASCAR. They had a big announcement today. They bought International Speedway Corporation. What does that mean for the sport? What could that mean for the sport? I think it could go either way. I think it could be a really good thing or a really bad thing. I'll I'll give you my opinion on that. And, of course, we'll preview this weekend's Coca-Cola 600 and take your phone calls at 917-889-8280 here on Talking Circles tonight. First, let's talk about the NASCAR Hall of Fame, uh, 2020 class of NASCAR Hall of Fame. Five uh, members inducted. Tony Stewart, the, of course, famous driver and car owner now. Joe Gibbs, who's been a car owner since 1992. He's in the Hall of Fame. Buddy Baker, the longtime driver and broadcaster. He's in. Waddell Wilson, a longtime crew chief and engine builder. Long overdue, in my opinion, for him to be in. And, of course, Bobby Labonte out of Corpus Christi, Texas, the younger brother of Terry Labonte and a 2000 series champion with 21 career wins. Uh, interesting. Three guys who were a prominent part of Joe Gibbs racing from 1995 to 2005 are now all in the hall of fame in the same class. That's Tony Stewart, Joe Gibbs and Bobby Labonte. Um, what are your thoughts, Philip, on these uh, five members getting into the NASCAR hall of fame? <laughs> I mean, for me personally, to have uh, Smoke get in, uh, of course, first ballot, uh, it was, I mean, it, his stats uh, belied being put in first ballot. You know, Jeff Gordon did the year before when Jimmy Johnson's eventual retirement and five, whenever his period of time he gets put on the ballot, he'll be put in as a first ballot Hall of Famer. <laughs> That's the one that really is awesome, Um, you know, for all the stuff that he's went through and the the lack of enjoyment he had of having to fulfill being this NASCAR guy. uh, Tony going and making it in is awesome. And it's a a good – there's symmetry there. I know that they've been putting in an owner a year, basically. So the fact that they put in Reverend Gibbs and then Bobby Labonte, who – in a lot of ways was with Jimmy Maycar, the duo that really set the tone and set the table uh, for Joe Gibbs racing's relevance uh, to this day. It started with those guys. I mean, Bobby, I mean, Dale Jarrett was there at first, but it was Bobby and Jimmy that won races and won that championship in 2000. They were the last team that had Pontiac and, um, they kept them going until 2002 when Tony won his first championship. And I mean, the reality is if Tony hadn't had a guy like Joe Gibbs or work for somebody like him, I don't think he'd be as good of an owner as he is currently, uh, not only in NASCAR, but in other series. Uh, the two uh, legendary names, Buddy Baker, who first man to go 200 miles an hour in a stock car, uh, winner uh, for a long time there the fastest Daytona 500 in 1980 and the Grey Ghost uh, most famously done by Dale Jr. about 700 times uh, in throwback schemes and then Waddell Wilson who had a connection to the the that Rainier racing team 
and in general had a connection to a lot of great drivers. Uh, honestly, it's a very solid, strong class. Um, there could be a little bit of conjecture in terms of, you know, I would say probably in terms of where you wanted to go with a few guys and maybe the bottom two, but in terms of you're not really, you can, it's a take it or leave it probably. A lot of these guys are going to get in. Um, I was forgetting who got dropped off the ballot uh, this year, but um, only after one year, but there's a lot of worthy candidates. And I figure the time for a Mike Stefanik, who's a Northeast, legend and Herschel McGriff who's a West Coast legend and people like that, Ray Fox, Red Vaught, um, Harry Hyde, those guys, they're going to get their due here sooner rather than later. So, I mean, for me as a Tony Stewart fan, it's kind of surreal. Uh, I mean, it's crazy to think that I watched uh, Tony's whole entire NASCAR career from the beginning in 1995 to um, his to his end in 2016 it's it's pretty amazing and it's pretty cool uh to see that happen 917-889-8280 yeah it is it's an awesome awesome thing to see when you watch a driver who you grew up rooting for or you grew up following a lot of his career or her career for that matter and you see what they've accomplished to the sport and you remember everything they've accomplished it's pretty remarkable you know these drivers don't hang on as long as they used to I mean, Tony Stewart's career compared to like Richard Petty's or maybe Kale Yarbrough's or even David Pearson's might not look as long as far as years are concerned, but he's, he's run a lot of races. He ran a lot more races. Uh, Tony ran full-time from 1999 until about 20, I think it was 2015. Um, so listen, he was no doubt. I think when you looked at him in his prime, he won three championships. You know, the Daytona 500 eluded him. Uh, but it wasn't because he wasn't a good plate racer. He, How many years in a row did he win that Xfinity Series race there at Daytona? I think it was like seven years in a row he won that thing. It was remarkable. And he, and he won how many 125s and how many shootouts and, and how many 400-mile races at Daytona? He won a ton of them. And that's why I always considered him more of the modern-day Dale Earnhardt because he was on the plate track as far as his Daytona, of course, was concerned because he was just so good at Daytona and he was never able to win it. I mean, you look at other guys who just have the Daytona 500 slip out of their grasp. I mean, Terry Labonte, but Terry didn't have the record at Daytona that Tony Stewart had. Same thing with Rusty Wallace. He never had the success at Daytona that Tony Stewart had. So uh, I think, you know, when you look at his Daytona 500 absence there, and Mark Martin the same way. Mark Martin was good at Daytona, but he wasn't nearly as good as Tony Stewart. Tony Stewart was one of the best drivers on a super speedway, I think in NASCAR history, I think he's in a top 10. Um, and so to me, that leaves a little asterisk saying, well, yeah, he doesn't have a Daytona 500, but it wasn't because he wasn't a good plate racer. It was that he was a, he was a tremendous plate racer. He just was never in the right spot at the right time. I mean, you remember 2008, he got passed there in the last lap. Uh, you know, yeah, you don't have to remind me of that. It gives me nightmares yeah. still. But. <laughs> and 04, what did he finish running up to Dale two that year? So there was a lot of times uh, where he was close to winning the Daytona 500, and uh, it was just out of his grasp, you know. So um, it shouldn't affect his Hall of Fame eligibility at all, and I'm glad it didn't because he's the first ballot Hall of Famer. Um, and everywhere he went, he was tremendous. I mean, he was just out. He was just one of those guys who, um, when you just think about the raw talent of this sport, Tony Stewart's there. You know, he drove everything, he drove anything, and he was always winning when he was in it. Joe Gibbs, I mean, 
when you think about what he's con- contributed to this sport since 1992 when he got in, you know, he really gave this sport, and I don't know if this it was in the Hall of Famers voters' minds, you know, he really gave this sport a lot of uh, credibility, you know, as far as outside people in NASCAR because he was really the first big-time celebrity car owner we've had in NASCAR. You know, a lot of other drivers have tried – a lot of other owners, uh, really football personalities per se, have tried. Troy Aikman, Roger Stallback, Brett Favre, Dan Marino, the list goes on and on and on, Mark Reipian. But Joe Gibbs was the one who was first, and he's the one who lasted the longest. Um, so uh, certainly gets gets a lot of credit. I mean, how many championships does he have now? Five now with Kyle Busch's and uh, and uh, Tony Stewart's two and Bobby Labonte's. Okay, so he's got four now. Uh, he's a tremendous, tremendous car owner. Um, his team's – what he's done with Toyota has put him in another level. I mean, when he was with Chevrolet, he was very good. But he's now the face of Toyota. He's now the team that and, – and really the, the team that everybody looks to now uh, with Toyota. So he should, certainly should be in as well. I'm going to leave Buddy Baker to the side here in a little bit, and I'll explain why. Waddell Wilson, to me, was next. I mean, I think that was a no-brainer. I, I love these people who built engines, and I, that's why I was kind of upset when, when it took uh, Robert Yates so long to get in. Um, you know, these guys who built engines and really were – behind the scenes and really creating stuff that um, was never really seen on race day that you couldn't really see on race day, but other than the horsepower, I mean, you know, they were innovators and uh, these innovators certainly should get in. Waddell Wilson, three Daytona 500 wins as a crew chief, including Buddy Baker's win in 1980. Uh, He was tremendous. Uh, Just, there's no doubt about it. I mean, he certainly, certainly belongs in and Bobby Labonte. I mean, he, he was one for a long time was the only driver ever, to win a Xfinity Series championship and a Cup Series championship. Um, that has now been surpassed. Martin Truex Jr. has done it. Kyle Busch has done it. Kevin Harvick's done it as well. Uh, but for a long time, Bobby Labonte was the only driver to do that. A lot of people Brad. have read on Twitter, and, and Brad Kozlowski too right now. Um, a lot of people I've read on Twitter uh, aren't thrilled with this one uh, because Bobby, when you look at his Cup stats, you say, eh. And I think a lot of people remember Bobby Labonte. I mean, you and I are old enough to remember Bobby Labonte in his prime when he was very, very good in, in that 18 car. Yeah. I mean, for, for five, six-year period, he was one of the best drivers in NASCAR. Uh, and a lot of people remember his days with the 43 and, and the 47 where he was with, you know, middle to back of the pack teams and was never able to really muster a win. I think what hurt Bobby Labonte a lot was the newer race car. He also was with Petty when Petty was – our Petty Enterprises, when they were shutting down, he got kind of lost in the shuffle there. And then he was building with the 47 team. They were a solo corporation with no alliance there for a long time. And he did a pretty good job. If you talk to Brad Daughtery, the owner of that team, one of the owners on that team, he'll tell you how good Bobby Labonte was for that 47 car. He was the perfect driver at that time. So um, certainly a guy who, uh, when he was in his prime, was, was one of the top drivers in NASCAR. And Buddy Baker, you know, a big name. He, I compare him a lot to Dale Earnhardt Jr. His dad was was an tremendous tremendous talent was tremendous race car driver back in the 60s you know he's from north carolina had a lot of of say because of uh, a lot of uh, fan following because of who his father was uh, you know when you look at his stats they don't jump off the seat the, the the sheet for you they really don't you know you mentioned the 200 miles an hour he was the first driver to ever do that um and that's where you know you kind of sit there and you look at labani and you look at baker and a lot of people say well their stats don't jump off off the the page a little bit um I understand that, you know, but we put in drivers who have less than that. For example, Davey Allison. Now, you could say Davey and I completely agree. Davey Allison 
would have been a multi-time champion, multi-time winner in that. Uh, would have won uh, over, I think, over 60, 70 races in the Cup Series. He was that good, and he was with that good of a race team, and he was I, – I mean, there was no doubt. But to me, when you put Davey in at 19 wins and no championships – you know, it opened the door for Bobby Levani. It opened the door for a guy like Buddy Baker. Now, Buddy, a lot of people want to com- put his, his broadcasting career in there. Um, and, and that's fine because I guess everybody with NASCAR, it all combines as one. I'm not sure I would have done it that way if I was NASCAR with the Hall of Fame. I would have maybe made those careers separate. But um, Buddy Baker's in, you know. So uh, I think all five guys, like we said earlier, are are uh, are certainly worthy. Um and and I think they've all had their contributions to this sport. Uh, it's it was certainly a big day. I saw Bobby Labonte was talking to his father, um, certain Bob Labonte Sr. So awesome to see that that he was in there. Um, you know, what are your thoughts as far as um, you know when people say about Bobby Labonte and Buddy Baker and their stats don't jump off the page as Hall of Famers? I mean, you know, it also opens Pandora's box for Neil Bonnet and Harry Gant. And those guys, um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I think the Pandora's box in a lot of ways was open with guys that haven't, other guys who haven't won championships prior. You know, maybe they've won a lot of races, but they hadn't won championships. Or if you won a championship and you had X amount of wins, like DJ had 32 wins and he had a bunch of big wins, but he had the one championship. So that kind of opened the door for a Bobby Labonte. You know, Tony doesn't have the major wins. Uh, I mean, Brad took care of two two weeks in a row last year to kind of make his resume, which will probably get him in eventually. Uh, you know, Tony only had the two Brickyard 400s. But when I think a lot of people, uh, you know, when I think of greatest championship runs, the 2011 run was one that really – solidified has changed the game, which is why they we have the format we have today. But getting back to like Bobby Labonte, his his meaning and his work, you know, being the younger brother of a guy who won two championships was one of the best out there. And basically following that, you know, that way that his brother Texas Terry had and just carried it and he really was a part of building an organization. And I I always remember Bobby and Jimmy, and I was watching the 99 uh, Winston a few days ago, just, you know, out of curiosity after watching this past weekend's race and watching Tony, the only time he ever had to run through the open. And they, all they were talking about is how Jimmy Makar and, and Bobby Labonte is like, if you think Tony's car and Bobby, the Buddy Baker says, if you think Tony's car is really good, you got to see Bobby Labonte's car. Because every time they went to a cookie cutter track or an SMI, whatever, SMI track, those two were the best. They dominated Atlanta for years, Charlotte. And, you know, there's a lot to be said about what their meaning was, bigger, bigger picture. And he was the first driver to ever win both the now Xfinity and uh, Cup Series uh, championships. There are other drivers that gives hope for guys like even Greg Biffle, if that comes because he's won truck uh, trucks and Xfinity and competed very well uh, in Cup as well. And the other drivers who you mentioned earlier that have won both championships, it's probably a lock uh, 
Um, they also have other stats in cup that would make them a lot. Yeah. Uh, Buddy Baker's I, meaning, Buddy Baker's meaning in terms of the sport to me, I never got to watch him race, of course. Or, so the, I only heard, I, 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 I always remember Buddy's hearty laugh and his personality and how passionate he was and how much he cared about this sport and being the son of a racing legend. It's a very difficult thing. You know, we just talked about Davey, you know, having to follow a legend and have to make your own path. And uh, there was nothing about, but Buddy Baker was all in or all out, you know, like he was going to give it to you straight and he was going to drive that race car until he was going to push the throttle through the floorboard. And that's why he didn't win as many races as he probably could have, but he won the big races. He won the Daytona 500. He won the Coca-Cola 600. And I mean, he's, he's, a legendary, as much as he was a great driver, I think he was a better person. And a lot of people respect and love, respected and love Buddy Baker. And I think that's why he got his just due uh, today. Um, his his greatness goes well beyond the 21 wins that he provided. And, and as you said, it might give an opportunity to Neil Bonnet to possibly make it in. Um, it's it's there's other things to be said you know we probably can dissect it more but i mean buddy baker you know separating you could separate it just based on the driving and he did plenty driving to to justify um his and he also won a southern 500 too so i mean it's like he won the majors he never got to win a championship because he never really was that guy that could be consistent but he won the majors and you know, it's the same way as like Tony didn't win them, but he has a lot of wins and he has the championships versus guys who won the majors but couldn't win a championship. It's all yep. semantics. And so, I mean, it is what it is. We'll see who gets added on next year. It's going to be an interesting uh, year for the next vote because um, all the owners are in and you've got some really good people that are just on the outside. Well, I love what you said, first of all, about Bobby Labonte and how he built and helped build an organization. You know, I think it's funny because I've always used that as an excuse for people, as an example of why they should go to the Hall of Fame. And I've never heard anybody else say that, saying, well, they built an organization. You know, I always said about Mark Martin, he built Roush Fenway. You know, if it wasn't for Mark Martin, who knows where Roush Fenway Racing is today? And that was always my sticking point. You know, I, had no, I actually had a person argue with me that Mark Martin shouldn't have been in the Hall of Fame. I, I was almost appalled. Because he never won the Daytona 500 and he never won a championship. I almost fell over. But, um, you know, with Labonte, I completely agree. He helped build Joe Gibbs Racing. My, I guess my question is, and I'm a little biased with Bobby Labonte, I must admit, and I don't know if you know this story, but when I first went to Pocono Raceway, the first memory I have was in, in racing is back in 1993, and Bobby Labonte was driving the Maxwell House car for mm-hmm. Bill Davis at that time. So it tells you yep. how long ago that was. And uh, it was either 93 or 94, and we're at Pocono, and I'm with my brother, and I knew Bobby just had a really bad crash. Uh, I, I forget where it was, but he had a fiery accident in the Maxwell House car. So I was asked – here I am, five, four or five years old, asking him about this fiery crash. And uh, he asked if we were twins, and I said, yeah, we're twins you know, kind of thing. And he's like, oh, you know what I always tell my brother? I, I said, we always say, see you later, alligator, and he said, in a while, crocodile, and – we always had like that laugh, you know, and he laughed at us and we were kind of, and I remember that from when I was four years old and it kind of got me into the sport um, at, because I figured these guys are just normal people. 
You know, and so Bobby Labonte to me, I'm always a little biased on, I must admit. But I guess what I'm asking is, do you feel that these guys who are whose career started, you know, let's say 60s, 70s, 80s, and even into the early 90s where Bobby Labonte is, they've hung on longer. You know, Bobby Labonte, uh, what he run for, let's see, 93 full-time in his cup career, and he ended around like 2015. So he ran like 22, 23 years. Uh, he's not as long as like Buddy Baker, but I guess what I'm getting at is these guys who are towards the back end of their career, they, Tony Stewart never really had a back end of his career. He retired in his prime because he could afford to. You know, Buddy Baker, for example, when he was winning his races, he wasn't making a ton of money. You know, Bobby Labonte yeah. was a little bit different. He was in the peak of NASCAR, but still, you know, he was still a young guy and hanging on. So do you think that the back end of their careers, both Buddy Baker and Bobby Labonte, have hurt them as far as uh, perception goes? Because, again, when they were in their primes, especially Bobby Labonte, when he was in his prime, you mentioned it, you know, he, he was the guy to beat when you went to Charlotte. He was the guy to beat when you went to Atlanta. You know, he was tre- he was a tremendous race car driver, uh, won a championship, and, you know, it, it ended kind of, you know, unmiraculously at Joe Gibbs Racing, and then he went to Petty and really was kind of a man. I know disrespect to Petty, but Petty hadn't won a race in a long time at that point. Uh, their last win, I believe, was 1999 with John Andretti when Bobby got there in 2006. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it wasn't like he was going to a powerhouse organization when he got there. Um, and they kind of faded. They were they were on the back end of their of their you know run there, Petty Enterprises. So he kind of got lost in the shuffle, I think, through rides. And by the time he was able to find a decent ride again, he was old news, you know, unfortunately. So uh, I was always waiting for him to have his his brother moment where his brother kind of went for a lull in the middle of his career too. And then all of a sudden he got to a good ride and bam, he took off. Um, I was always kind of waiting for Bobby Labonte to have that, but the sport had changed a lot since then. But uh, yeah. I don't think there's any doubt in a lot of people's minds that Bobby was a, a hall of fame talent. No, I mean, <clears throat> I mean, if you're going to take in the whole entire sum of the, the parts, then we could go and start bringing up the guys who were, you know, legitimate, you know, the, the le- other legends that their back end, their end of their career was not good. I mean, was dramatically bad. I mean, we can make an argument for me as as a Smoke fan. I mean, I consider 2011 being the absolute peak. That was it. You know, the way he did what he did and how he did it in 11 was the peak. And then everything after that was just a downhill spiral. Till yeah, you had that little plateau there. He goes and comes back win Sonoma I'm screaming like a like a madman freaking out which I will never let go and I'll be proud of because um, it was three years of pent-up frustration and sadness and anger but for the for like Bobby Labonte he didn't get to walk off the way his brother sort of did but even let's be honest Terry Labonte's last full year was 2003 or last one was 2003 his last full year was I think was 04, I believe, or no, maybe it was, yeah, it was 04. And then he held on for like a good, I think a good eight years after that. And we're just saying, yeah, like he was Elliot a while. and some of these, mm-hmm. some of these guys and Bobby did the same thing, but I mean, the, the, the reality is like Bobby Labonte, you have to, it's, it's where like we could, I look at it, he won one of the closest Bush Series championship battles 
frankly had a good chance to repeat in 92, but they didn't really have everything there. He came into a spot where theoretically Jeff Gordon was supposed to be and did a really good, admirable job for a couple of years there at Bill Davis Racing, which kind of set the tone for Ward Burton and his, you know, where he went. And then he went to Joe Gibbs and I, his meaning is bigger than whatever his, the, the stats, the bottom line stats, same thing for Buddy Baker. And, and, and the point is for the people that, and they want to have people that are relevant theoretically, or people that are still here. They want to have multiple people that are still here every year. They do this whole thing. They want to have at least three guys or or three people that can talk, you know, at this, this deal. And so that also goes into it. Uh, well, I, the, the reality is I think it's a great, it, it worked out perfectly in the sense that the two people that I think set the table for Joe Gibbs to be where they are now and for Joe Gibbs to be a Hall of Famer, it started with Bobby Labonte. It really started with Bobby Labonte and Tony Stewart, and now Joe Gibbs is in. And so, I mean, that's the symmetry there is really nice, and it's a good thing, and it's going to be very cool as we build up to January when they do the induction. Um, and, and that'll be interesting to see. Um, I'm also I'm also curious to see who they're going to add to this list uh, coming in for next year because it's going to be a very tight. It's going to be one of the most difficult votes I think that they've ever had. Honestly, there was there there was give there was like granted like first no problem people here. I think coming into 2021 with the number of people they insist on putting in every year, I think it's going to be a difficult vote for this next uh, um, Hall of Fame vote. So that'll be interesting to see. Yeah, it is. And it's just that NASCAR Hall of Fame is so much different than anything else because they add everything together. You know, that's including Xfinity, including um, Modifieds, including trucks, including all kinds of NASCAR divisions and all kinds of NASCAR people. Um, so like I said, broadcasters are even in with, with Ken Squire and, and Barney Hall and everything like that. So, Everything's included, which makes it a little bit more different than, let's say, the Baseball Hall of Fame. You know, the Baseball Hall of Fame has its own broadcaster's wing of the Hall of Fame. Um, well, they have so the Squire it, Hall Award, so that's They do. Too. They, that is separate, but still, you know, when you vote somebody for the Hall of Fame, it, it's, it's you know, you still got, um, you know, a broadcaster might still be on that, on the ballot. So, yeah. um, it it's you know, and Bill France, even Bill France, Bill in Bill uh, Senior. You know, I don't think we would have been able if this is the Baseball Hall of Fame. I'm not sure you um, can vote in commissioners or, or whatever. You know, the France family. But I'm getting off on a tangent that I didn't want to get to. Um, but you know, again, it, it's going to be very interesting because, like you said, you know, a lot of people think Smokey Eunuch should be on. Listen, I think a guy who is very underrated, and and people are going to laugh at me when I say this, and I don't really care. And I've been beating this drum for a while. And he's got a bad reputation because of his. Uh, he had a rivalry with Dale Earnhardt, and that's Jeff Bodine. Listen, when you put Jeff Bodine's stats up next to to Neil Bonnet's, you can't tell me that Jeff Bodine wasn't anywhere close to Neil Bonnet. He was just as good. But uh, Bodine got his the last win for Bud Moore. He won on road courses. He won a Daytona 500. He won everywhere he needed to win. Got he got won the first race for Hendrick. Their first their first win ever, and. 
a big thing is what he did in modifieds in the late seventies was un- unbelievable. There was talk that he won a hundred races in one year in modifieds. So let me tell you something. Jeff Bodine was, and to me, sh- you know, there was a, um, uh, I think it was Fox Sports. Somebody put out uh, the fifty greatest drivers in NASCAR history, and the fact that Jeff Bodine was left off that list, I was I was appalled. I thought it was unbelievable, and I know I might have a northeastern bias because he's from Chemung, New York, not too far from where I live, but. Um, you you look at his stats and what he's done. To me, he's he should be on this ballot. I'm, I'm surprised he hasn't been added yet. And, and again, I know he's got a bad reputation because he was a little bit of a of a nuisance to a lot of people. But to me, Jeff Bodine's a guy that needs to be considered because of what he did in modifieds, what he did in the Cup Series. Uh, he certainly needs to be considered. And I, I'll be interested to see if his name's left off the ballot again as well. Again, Smokey Eunuch. A lot of people look at him as well. Uh, they go crazy when he's not on the ballot because what he's done, what his contributions were to this sport, and I understand that. But listen, he he and Bill Senior were not uh, they were not friends to say the least. So I think that that's a big problem for him. Uh, we'll see, you know, if Brian with with Brian out of the picture, if uh, if maybe that changes. Yeah, it took him until this this past year or whatever to get Red Vaught on on the ballot, and that's that's a. Uh, absolute travesty as well so the reality is uh they basically have you know they've put aside the people that really set the tone for what um the sport what made the sport at the beginning i mean they waited on years and years after raymond parks passed away uh, because of the stupidity of what well, we need to put the Francis in at the same time. I mean, those be, you made, I mean, I'll, I could go off on a tangent about the, that whole first vote, but uh, that I'll, I'll say that there are, there are people that have been made to wait that shouldn't have. And there are people that should be first ballot and should be unanimous that weren't. And the people that vote should, and that didn't bother to vote for those people shouldn't be allowed to vote. I think that would be a great way to clean up all these halls of fame is make them not only, it's not even about making them public, but if you, if you're not capable of voting Tony Stewart first ballot hall of fame for the NASCAR hall of fame, you're not only an idiot. um, You probably don't deserve to have your voting privilege. Uh, It's the same way as, you know, people that wouldn't vote Jeff Gordon first ballot hall of fame or, you know, people of that ilk, you know, based on the meaning and what they brought to the sport. But then we could have well, another show just based on some of the takes I have on some of the things I have got my mind. But. Uh, I'll say this, and I'll finish it up here with the Hall of Fame talk. My one gripe about the Hall of Fame, and I think you hit on it pretty well, is the fact that it sort of neglects the, the pioneers of this sport, people who built this sport. Where would we be without it? That's why I like seeing the Waddell Wilsons of the world get in and the Robert Yates's. You know, who knows if Robert Yates wasn't, you know, didn't have cancer and, and had his, uh, you know, they got him in basically because uh, they knew he, he, was about he, to wasn't, die. he was about to die. And yeah. he got in. And, and uh, to me, he was five years, maybe three years too late to get in because of all his contributions. You think about Robert Yates and, you know, he, his engines and his mindset and his knowledge and tutelage are still winning races in NASCAR, and they're going to be winning races for 20, 25 years down the road. I don't think Doug Gates is going anywhere, and he was winning yeah. races in the 70s. Just as an engine builder, and I'm leaving out what he did as a car owner. So to me, it was it was a crime, and 
I, I think that's what a lot of the old school fans have a gripe about it is that when they go in there and they want to see the people they remember growing up as kids and they don't see them, they're like, well, why is this guy not in there? And I think they're trying to, like you said, you know, they've had, there's been some financial troubles there. They're trying to get the big names. And I think they're trying to appease everybody, but you don't want to dilute the hall of fame. Uh, and that's the one thing I, I, I wish, you know, once we get these guys in there and I think there's a plenty of drivers in there now with Jeff Gordon and Tony Stewart and, all the guys, Dale Earnhardt and, and uh, Richard Petty and all the guys who are big-name drivers are now in there. I wish we could now these next couple of, of, um, of nominees, I wouldn't say exclusively, but I would like to see more, a trend of, of a couple more of these pioneers who worked in this sport and really built it from the bottom up, get into the Hall of Fame and get their, you know, uh, get the, get their, their due because they certainly, certainly deserve it. Um, 917-889-8280 couple, Another thing that came out today that's, that's sort of on the back burner Because of the Hall of Fame talk That I want to get to is NASCAR They had announced what today They have uh, purchased International Speedway Corporation For $2 billion uh, International Speedway Corporation Is a, uh, a corporation that owns a lot of racetracks Around the Cup, cup Circuit And Xfinity and trucks of course um, you know, And this was something that Was sort of a technicality a lot of the people on the board of International Speedway Corporation were Francis, who owned NASCAR. Yeah. You know, Jim Francis was a big wig in there, and Lisa France Kennedy as well. So this was sort of a technicality, but it does kind of put it uh, where NASCAR doesn't really have to worry about the stock price anymore, but which is good. Or IC doesn't have to worry about their stock price anymore, which is good in a way. But to me, it can go two ways. And, and my wife asked me this because she knows I'm, I'm well-versed in this stuff, pretty well-versed in this stuff. And she's like, is this a good thing or a bad thing that, that this happened? I said, well, it could be two ways. It could be really good or it could be really bad. I don't think it could be anywhere in between. They could say, you know what? We don't care about the stock price. We're NASCAR. We're, we're going to own a lot of the racetracks now, and we're going to do what's in the best interest of the sport. Maybe we don't need to go to um, – let hypothetically, and I'm not picking this track because I don't like it, but I'm just saying hypothetically. Maybe we don't need to go to Kansas twice a year, and we'll go to this racetrack. We'll buy that one too. We'll buy uh, – again, I don't know if this is even in the works. This is just speculation. This is just me off the top of my head. Let's say we buy Nat, NASCAR buys Nashville and says, you know what? We're buying Nashville, and we're going to move a date from Kansas and put it in the Nashville. To me, that's smart because then you look at it and you say, well, that's a good thing because they're looking out for the best interest of the sport, not necessarily what's in the, what's the best for their pocket. It obviously might, this might be in the long run, but that's good because when you look at the best interest of the sport, you want it to have – uh, financial gain in the long run uh, or it could go totally opposite which is what we've seen in the last 15 years in my opinion where all these races go to go to the same racetracks and it, they kind of you know po- fill their pockets up with with all these races they don't really let another racetrack get a, a race and, and or, or the race sectioning fee so high they can't do that um, so it can go two ways, you know, to me, it could go, well, we want to kind of create a monopoly. We want to make as much money as we can. We're going to, we're going to, you know, kick out even Dover and we'll kick out Pocono because we, we don't really own them. And we want to put all races and make as much money as we possibly can. Or they could say, now we own these racetracks. We can kind of do what we want with them. We make a lot of money. Uh, the sport, if the sports driving, we're, we're in good shape. Um, what are your thoughts on, on ISC being bought by NASCAR, uh, which was announced here this afternoon. Yeah, I mean, it's to me, I've always considered, you know, NASCAR and ISC one and the same. 
I think uh, the reality that they're <clears throat> one's buying the other. I was reading stuff on social media where it's like, well, if they sell them, then they'll get more value. So in the end, for Jim and Lisa, the remaining Francis that are there, uh, if they want to walk off and make a ton of money, theoretically, that might be there. But I also don't believe that the value of this sport is as high as they may believe it is. I think they're, I think BZF did a lot of work to damage the NASCAR brand. Uh, He did a lot of work to damage the value, uh, which is part of why, you know, the TV contracts and all this stuff, they're not getting the value they want too, which is why we get the horrendous coverage that we do, even though they paid a ton of money for it. Um, I see it as well. If they want to be able to shift races, that might be possible. I also see based on the 2020 schedule that they're trying to shift races away from independent tracks or tracks that, that are in the Northeast, which, you know, fundamentally for me is a big problem. Uh, And it's it's whatever. It's a racket. They're all rich. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't, it don't really matter what they do. They're still going to be rich. They're going to make tons of money, and we're still going to be poor. We're still going to love the sport, even though uh, they don't respect our real fans. Uh, but the the it's it seems like inside to me in a lot of ways it's like insider trading because it's like how the heck can you people be talking about, oh, we're buying ourselves. Like, you're literally buying yourselves out. You know, it's it's such BS, but, you know, it's whatever. At the end of the day, they're, the Francis are still going to make out. They got their little Hall of Fame. They got all these different things. They got 8,000 entitlement sponsors. You know, it doesn't really matter. They're the ones, they're, they're, they're like Amazon. They're like Walmart. They're going to make money no matter what they do. You know, they could put a terrible product out on the racetrack. They're still going to make money because they got so many, they, they got a sucker like me who's been at this 27 years, 20, you know, 27 years plus, and I'll show up next week at Pocono for one or both days, depending on the weather. They're going to get me, you know, like that's how they do it. So, uh, it is what it is. If they're trying to sell this bit and trying to find somebody to go and invest to possibly put an infusion of cash into it to kind of be like what Formula One did with Liberty Media, that might be the idea. Um, I don't really see anything coming of it more than what it already is, but you know that's my personal perspective. Yeah, and that's the thing. I think it can go either way. I think it can go one way where we pretty much stay status quo, which is what I was trying to say with you know all the tracks and what we've seen in the last fifteen years. Or it could go, hey, you know what? We're not really, we don't have to really worry about anything else. We can just worry about NASCAR. So um, I'm curious to see how that goes. To be honest with you, um, you know, it's it's gonna be interesting. You know, but it also puts Iowa in the same company now in the same and, and not that it wasn't before but iowa was always owned was owned by nascar they bought iowa 
and on an ISC, and they were like, well, it's not really the same thing. Now it's all the same thing. Now you can't deny it. You know, but I always said when I wanted to apply for a job at NASCAR, I'd have to go through ISC website um, or, or vice versa. So, you know, now it's it's all pretty much all in the same. MRN is going to be under that umbrella too because they're part of, of ISC as well. So just keep that in mind when you listen to things out there. Um, but listen, it's going to be interesting, and and I think it's it was something that uh, was was an interesting time as that it was announced because it's the Hall of Fame and a lot of people's uh, conversations now focused on a Hall of Fame and who got in, who didn't, like we started our show with. But I think this could be a day we look back at, you know, um, May twenty second, two thousand nineteen, and say that was the day everything changed. You know, NASCAR bought ISC. You know what happens with SMI now from here on out? Could they possibly, you know, who if they sell, could you know, is that a good thing? Maybe they wanted to bundle NASCAR and ISC together, and they're going to sell it out. So there's a lot to digest here, and I think in the next five years we'll see exactly what NASCAR's plan is with with what they've done today and why they decided it was a, a, a deal to on paper at least by International Speedway Corporation. Um, but it's going to be very interesting to see. Okay, Philip. Uh, let's move on to the Coca-Cola 600 and this weekend's races. You know, NASCAR Xfinity Series runs Saturday. Coca-Cola 600 runs on Sunday night, of course, um, which is a, a fun race. You know, we talked a little bit about last week on the show about how we feel about 600-mile races. Um, I think it's a, it's a fun event for one week. I wish it was a continuous. I, I, I don't like the fact it's going to be broken up in four stages again this year. Um, I think some people love that fact. I'm a I'm an old school traditionalist. I liked you know the old 135 lap green flag runs. I always was was a fan of that. I just did. It was always awesome to watch and, and four cars in the lead lap and you battling each other. And um, to me, you know, what one thing I like about this race the most, Philip, is that it starts out sort of twilight, goes to start, starts out in the day, goes to twilight, and then goes to night. And it's sort of two different races. Like it's cooler. A lot of things change. And I, I think that's what makes the Coca-Cola 600 such a unique race is about the time it starts. Plus, you know, it's a, it's a cap off of, of the Formula One Monaco Grand Prix and the Indianapolis 500. It caps that whole Sunday off perfectly. Um, but this weekend's Coca-Cola 600, you know, Charlotte in the 600 this weekend has been sort of lackluster here the last five or six years with with this new rule package. Um, but with, the, with this package we have here in 2019 – what kind of racing do you think we're going to see? Do you think it's going to be sort of what we saw last week in the Coca-Cola six or in the all-star race for this Coca-Cola 600? Do you think it's going to be, going to be what we saw last year in the all-star race uh, or somewhere in between? What are your, or is it what we're going to see at Kansas? Cause a lot of people rant and raved about Kansas. That it was an awesome race. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on this Coca-Cola 600? What we're going to see this weekend. I honestly believe that, the 600 is going to be a lot like that first segment at Kansas in that the four and the 18 and, you know, and the 19, which it goes back to the big three last year. Uh, I mean, Kevin Harvick dominated the first half of the race. He led the most laps. Uh, the big three are all there. They've won. I mean, the Harvick is, hasn't won yet, but he's been there recently and you know Kyle Busch has won three he's the defending winner of this race you have Martin Truex who absolutely destroyed 
in this race a few years ago led all but six laps, which is ridiculous. I mean, I remember when Ernie Irvin won the fall race and um, and led all but six laps of the of the of the uh, fall race in 1993, and Martin Truex just went one step further and won the 600 that way. I figure. At the end of the day, Charlotte's just like any other cookie-cutter track. You're going to have those people that are really on, and they're going to get away. But the problem with Fox, because they don't know how to film a race properly, because they have to to cater to the LCD and Daryl, which is LCD himself, the, the fact is they only show the leader. They don't show the racing that's going on 10th from 5th to 15th or 5th to 20th, there's actually going to be some good racing going on. But the reality is it's 600 miles. And for years, it wasn't about entertaining people for four and a half hours. There's going to be stuff going on. There's going to be caution. There's going to be wrecks because there was going to be, you know, uh, attrition. There was going to be blown engines. There was going to be overheating. There was going to be crashes and failures now these things are bulletproof and i mean last week was a perfect example of that where people were hitting the fence they were still running people were running into each other and they were able to go and make it in the big show so on the one hand i i think the fact they have pj1 on the higher two grooves might make the racing a little better and I think it'll get better as the night goes on, which is actually a positive because at the end of the day, the faster the cars go, the less likely there's actually going to be racing because of how stuck the cars are. In this case, with the PJ1, that might actually allow a little better racing later in the night. I also believe that the first couple of stages are going to be a little more interesting in the fact that you're going to really have to be on it and you're going to have to stay with it to stay on the lead lap. And and the point is the 600 should be one of those races where if you can't stay on the lead lap or if you're right on that edge of the lucky dog, okay, fine. You know, then you kind of work your way around it. But if you're, if you, if you miss it and, and it's a Coca-Cola 600, you're going to be in for a long night. And that's what that race was meant for. And sometimes you just have to have it that way. Um, you know, you can't have entertainment 24-7, 365. That's not – NASCAR wasn't built that way. Um, they're catering to that. But obviously mm-hmm. when you're talking about the 600, you talk about Darlington, you talk about these majors. They're, those are the two races where you know that it's going to be difficult and it's not going to be – you have to be a real fan to really want to be into it. But the point is, that's what it is. That's what the race is meant for. You have to be able to earn it. Because in the end, I mean, there's been, you know, throwaway winners of both races, theoretically. But even with that, you, you look at the list of people who won these races. And, I mean, we talked about Tony and his Hall of Fame and, all that. I mean, he came within less than a lap of winning this race in 08 and, you know, in 07 running out of, running out of gas late when he ran both races, 
he had his best runs in this race, actually. So he was sitting there throwing up in, in 99 because he sat there and ate some freaking uh, fruit bar, and that's all he had is his nutrition after running 500 miles in Indianapolis like an idiot. And then he goes and goes to the 600. He had a chance to win the race, and he freaking was puking when he got out of the car. But Dale Earnhardt came over there and told him, good job. And that was one of those moments that kind of changed his life and changed his career in NASCAR. And so that's what it is. That's what the 600 is about. You know, you have to earn it. And, you know, whoever wins this race on on Sunday evening is going to earn it. And that's the way it should be because that's what that's what this race was meant to be all those years ago when they first made it. Yeah, and that's I think the biggest problem with the 600 nowadays and and what we used to, what we were, we were used to seeing growing up is it used to be a race of attrition like you mentioned and um, it was a race that was taxing on drivers and I'm hoping that 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 part the second part I just mentioned. We'll be back this year with how everybody's saying these cars are a lot more physical to drive than they ever have been. To where when we get those, those last 500 miles, these drivers are sitting there, sort of with their tongues hanging out, going, "Okay, you know, I can't believe we got another 100 miles." To me, that makes this race special because it, it puts another element into this race. Um, I do miss the fact that these cars are now they're bulletproof. I do miss the fact when they weren't. You know, I always thought it would add another element when you saw mechanical failures and, and stuff like that. And um, it, it's it's missing now. There's no doubt about it. And I think that was sort of Denny Hamlin's point with how they built these cars. To me, you can make rules or take rules away, and the owners wouldn't be happy about it. But you know, the, first of all, the gear rule, and and uh, I think that would be a, a major change if they did that, did away with that. I think that would help the sport a lot personally. But I'm getting off into another, uh, again, getting off into another field that I can go on for for days. But as far as the 600 is concerned, yeah, it's gonna be interesting to see. I mean, the, these this race. Actually, if you look at it from a standpoint of a regular season, this is the most valuable regular season race, maybe aside from the Daytona 500, because there are four stages, and there are technically more points to get in this race. Now, I only say that because if you look at Daytona, they have the duels that they count. Um, So the top 10 gets points in. So these races here in the 600, you know, you also got three – chances to get stage points in this race um so that to me makes a major major difference um so it, it's it's the most valuable race points wise as well which is something that we haven't normally seen um and it's just gonna be interesting to see how these mile this mile and a half how this package can, continues to evolve on a mile and a half tracks who's gonna be fast and i guess that leads me to my next point here is the chevrolet teams you know we look at this six uh the all-star race and the Chevrolet teams put up a very, very good fight. They're very strong. Um, Kyle Larson won the all-star race. Do you think this translates over to the 600, Phillip? Uh, or is it still going to be, you know, you mentioned the big three with Bush, Truex, and, and Kevin Harvick. What are, what are your thoughts on, on who's going to be strong on Sunday? Um, do you still think Chevrolet will put up a better fight than they have in the past? Or do you still think it's a, a big three and everybody else sort of scenario? I honestly believe that, you know, Alex Bowman didn't really have the opportunity to show himself last week. It was a shorter race. Um, The 600 has been a place where people have gotten their first win. Hall of Famer, Hall of Fame elect Bobby Labonte won this 
race is nearly was 25 years ago now. So for his first win, you know, the, the, the 600, you think about, you know, Jeff Gordon, Casey Mears, there's other guys that have won this race as their first race of their uh, cup career. And I have a, Matt Kenseth, yeah. I'm sorry, God, I can't believe I forgot that. But you know, the I I just have this feeling that after three straight runner-up finishes and points races, that Alex Bowman's going to do something on Sunday. I don't know what it is. He's got a really nice-looking car. I, the diecast is out. It's making me think about buying it. I mean, if he wins, I might end up buying it. But I think the Chevy teams are on the right track. These last few races have actually put them in the game. And the, you know, the RCR guys are going to qualify well. They probably won't stay up there, but probably qualify well. The 88 has been up there the last few weeks. The 9 has been there for the last month and a half. And wouldn't it be big for the redneck jesus jr to go out there and win the 600 it'd be a big deal uh on memorial day weekend i think it it would be a good sell and i think the chevy teams have a chance including kyle larson the problem for kyle larson is being able to maintain it for 600 miles uh the secondary problem which is i think bigger than that is the fact that his pit crew is not that great which is the same problem that kevin harvick has and I mean the the difference between a six hundred mile race and a four hundred mile race is that you have the ability to recover. Uh with this package it's harder to pass the longer you go into a run. Uh the tires are not exactly the greatest. So I mean if you have a fast car you're gonna get up there. Uh but if but I think in general the Chevy teams are in the game. I think it's a much more balanced race uh, for all three manufacturers to be able to compete. Um, so we'll, I, I guess we'll find out after 600 miles on Sunday. Yeah, it's going to tell us a lot, and that's what this race always does, I feel like, because you know it's a it's a hometown racetrack for a lot of these cars and these teams. Um, I think they're going to build – uh, brand new race cars. A lot of them are going to build bring brand new race cars because they sort of have two weeks. You know, especially now with with the rule package being different for the All Star race, they sort of have two weeks to where they can put uh, into these race cars. They have a little bit of time to build these cars compared to the rest of uh, the, the schedule and everything. So it's going to be very interesting. Um, this 600, I, I can't wait for it just on the fact that um, who's going to be fast, who's going to be up there. We've seen Bowman, like you said, run. The top uh, being second for the last three races, will that continue this weekend, or was it a fluke? Was it a little bit something we saw? Will Toyota continue to you know be a very very strong team? Will Ford, will Stewart Racing, you know get to a point where they are in a point now where they're finishing in the top five? But can they get over that hump, especially that four car? Can they get over the hump and start winning races again? Um, the 600, and, and this part of the season is going to tell us a lot because this 600 kicks off sort of the second third of the season um, until we get to really Daytona in July where you sit there and you say, hey, um, this is a, a time for everybody to 
put it all together and, and bring your best stuff in here because um, the championship is coming up. You know, playoffs are coming. And I know it doesn't seem like that because it's only our 13th or 12th race of the year. But, you know, we're not, we're not too far away. You know, we're, we really aren't. And, and uh, it, it might surprise some people and uh, say, oh, come on, you know, the playoffs are still a long, long, way, long time away. But if you talk to these drivers, I'm sure it's on their mind saying, we got to get as many playoff points as we possibly can, et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, this is the 13th race of the year now. So um, this is halfway. You know, 13 yeah. races is halfway through the regular season. So, you know, you, if, if you're not at full stride yet or you haven't shown full stride yet, uh, it's about time. You know, I look at a guy like Ryan Blaney, who has four top ten finishes this year, um, and we saw him have a good couple, good couple of races together, but we've also seen him struggle. Can they figure themselves out? Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see here on Sunday at uh, Charlotte Motor Speedway. Okay, Philip, I want to get your take here before we sign off. Who do you think wins? Uh, give me all three. I mean, I, I don't know Formula One that well, so I won't, I'll, I'll won't pick a Formula One winner. But um, give me all all three winners who you think is going to win the uh, Monaco Grand Prix, the Indianapolis 500, and the Coca-Cola 600 this weekend on Sunday. So in terms of Monaco Grand Prix, I'm going to go with, you know, my heart uh, because I want it to happen because he's been screwed so many times in this race. I mean, he's won it a couple times. I'm going to go with Lewis Hamilton. Uh, There are a lot of options outside of Lewis that could win his own teammate, Red Bull, there's other people, but I'm going to go with Lewis Hamilton, Mercedes. Now that, you know, Nicky Lauda uh, passed away, I think the Mercedes team is going to do a lot to try to win to, to honor their former non-executive chairman. One of the great formula one legends that exist. Uh, The movie rush is unbelievable. Daniel Brühl's performance and the way he he did Nicky Lauda might be one of the greatest performances ever in the history of acting. Um, in terms of the Indianapolis 500, I was the yesterday on the uh, Indy 500 preview. I talked about Ed Jones, uh, Tanner uh, talked about Alex Alexander Rossi. Uh, picked him in the other game. And so the fact is I, I pick Alexander Rossi to become a two-time Indianapolis 500 winner. Uh, he is one of the only guys that's willing to go out and go on the edge and run that outside line. And he came from tailback as Krusty loves to say, and, uh, and, and almost had a chance, but Will Power had the best car uh, last year. The reality is he's much closer this year to the front and he's just fearless and he's just got this way about him. And I really believe that Alexander Rossi is going to win this race. The reality is over the last few years, the only two teams that have won have been Penske and Andretti. He's an Andretti guy. Rumors are he's going to Penske. What would be the better way to go and and uh, ingratiate yourself to the captain to be like, hey, I'm a two-time Indy 500 winner. Uh, in terms of the 600, I'm going to go with Alex Bowman. I'm going to, after three weeks in a row, win, uh, only getting the second place and really had a chance to win at Kansas, probably should have. I'm going to say he's going to get his first career win 
at the Coca-Cola 600 like Casey Mears did uh, 12 years ago. Jeff Gordon did most famously 24 years ago or 25 years. Yeah, 25 years ago. Uh, so I'm going to go with Alex Bowman. And I mean, that's going to be an off the, off the wall pick. But I figure a lot of people are going to pick the big three and it wouldn't be a bad, bad choice. But I feel like the momentum is there to see Alex Bowman go and come through and get himself locked into the playoffs. Yeah, uh, I'm going to pick for um, the Indianapolis 500. Man, there's so many drivers that uh, – and, and I honestly don't have Indianapolis on the brain right now, but they're, they were, we were talking about it last night on our show here on Talking Circles, and if you missed it, we did a preview for the Indianapolis 500. Um, so I suggest you listen to that here on Talking Circles as well. Um, my driver is – and I'm going to go with Will Power. I know he won it a, a year ago, and, and I think he's going to do it again here um, in 2019. Uh, and, and give Team Penske another win in the Indianapolis 500. As far as the Cup Series goes, and again, I can't pick Formula 1 because I have no idea what I'm talking about, and I, and, uh, I would not want to embarrass myself too badly. Um, but uh, for as far as the, the Coca-Cola 600 is concerned, um, I'm going to go with Kyle Busch. Uh, I just think that 18-team on these mile and a half tracks is impossible to beat. Uh, also, I, I would keep an eye out for Truex. Uh, I just think that team, that 19 team and Cole Pern, they're hitting their stride. I'm not sure if they're there yet to where they can go out and uh, put together, you know, 10 straight top 10 finishes, but I think they're close. And the 600 is going to tell us a lot about that. So those are the two guys I really keep an eye on is Bush and Truex. Philip Matthew, great job as always. And uh, enjoy the weekend. We'll be back here on Sunday after the Coca-Cola, excuse me, we won't be. I lied. Coca-Cola 600 Sunday night. We'll be back here. Uh, most likely Monday uh, after the Coca-Cola 600. You know, stay tuned to our, our social media pages, and we'll let you know when we'll come back on here to review the Coca-Cola 600. We'll also most likely have a review of the Indianapolis 500 as well. Uh, we'll work out scheduling on that in a couple of next couple of days as well. So stay tuned for that on our social media pages. We'll see you next time. Good night, everybody.